Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see everyone. Welcome to Come and Reason Bible Study Class. It's been a minute since I've been up here. My name's Lori Atkins. I'm filling in today for Dr. Tim Jennings after what we think might be one of the longest consecutive teaching streaks <laughs> in the past 10 years. Dr. Jennings has taught at least every class in 2020. And it actually spreads into 2019. Uh, he and Christy are away and putting into practice the law of restoration, enjoying some well-earned rest and relaxation. So uh, for some announcements, we want to remember, especially in, in prayer, we have a longtime class member, Barbara Croson, who lost her son, Bradley, this past week. Yeah, so I know that she would appreciate your prayers as well so let's bow our heads and we'll start class father we come with with humble hearts we're grateful for for what you've done for us we invite your spirit we beg for your spirit to be poured out on us today um we want to ask special prayer for barbara and her family in this time of loss we pray that you would come especially close to them um comfort them and uh we also want to pray just for this nation. We were just looking at a map um, of the fires that are active. It looks like the country's on fire. And we know we've got fires out west. We've got unrest in many cities. And we just, again, ask for an outpouring of your spirit, the latter rain to fall. And we pray that we would uh, be able to be good witnesses, good messengers for you in this time and have answers to, to the questions that are being raised. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're still studying in the quarterly Making Friends for God, and this week we're studying Lesson 11, and the title is called Sharing the Story of Jesus. The memory text is from 1 John 5.13. It says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. It sounded like he was trying to give us some some assurance, some confidence. When you think about witnessing, telling people about Christ, how does that make you feel? Good? Good? Now remember, this is not a lecture. <laughs> not a lecturer. I'm more of a facilitator. So... All the pent-up need to participate in class can now be released. Teresa, yes. I know when I tell people about the Lord, I don't really just come out and start talking about God. Normally, it's when I'm at work and, and mm -hmm. I'm doing my phlebotomy, and somebody will say, Oh my gosh, thank you. That's the best stick I've had mm -hmm. so long. And I'm able to say... Don't give me credit for that. I pray every morning for God to lead and guide my hands. And you would not own that. You wouldn't believe the conversation. Is How that opens it up. Yeah. We're gonna, we are going to talk about that a little bit. And I think when you really embrace and understand and change that perspective to design law, when you're talking about the protocols that reality are built upon, the way reality works, it breaks down all the barriers between the spiritual and the non-spiritual. If reality is what we're talking about, then everything has a spiritual connotation. And those laws were set up to control the way reality operates. Well, 
Scripture itself tells us that, that they won't know we're Christians by our love, mm-hmm. not by our wealth, not by our diet, not by uh, what day we worship on, not by... Um, you can explain the 2300-day prophecy. Yes, or what all the beasts represent. Message or sanctuary message or, or which... Uh, which a recitation of fundamental beliefs and creeds. They'll know we're Christians by our love. And love is is not a it's not only a verbal love is a behavior. Love is love works in action. Love is outwardly moving and seeking. Right. It doesn't exist in a bubble. Uh, it, it's it's observed and that's what draws people. That that invites questions. Right. Then you're able to unpack that, but uh, it's, it's the behaviors, the other seeking love, uh, and that's what drew people to Christ. Exactly. Well, she was talking about work, how she's able to witness at work. Well, I retired this year, and I have to admit, one of the things I miss most about work was the ability to share, and it was through the actions, not through the words. Right. And I, now it's like I don't have the opportunity that I had yes, there. Yes, you do. You need to be teaching. <laughs> Right? See what I did there? <laughs> right? No, but I'm saying it was so much easier in a yeah. environment like that where you're working and stuff. Now, when you're home, you don't get out that much except to shop or whatever. You don't have the chance to do that. Right. And I miss that. Yeah. I miss that. Those chances for interaction. Yeah. yeah. So one of the founders of the Adventist Church says this about uh, witnessing. The Lord has said, you are my witnesses, but all who are called to be witnesses for Christ must learn of him. What does that mean? We can't really give. We can't really share something that we don't have, that we haven't experienced for ourselves. That they may be efficient witnesses. As children of the heavenly king, they should educate themselves to hear testimony in a clear, distinct voice and in such a manner that no one may receive the impression that they are reluctant to tell the mercies of the Lord. It's also trying to give us confidence From Saturday's lesson, the quarterly says witnessing is sharing what we know about Jesus. Is that entirely true? I'm glad this is more fully explained in the next sentence, because haven't we learned in this class that there's a significant difference between knowing about something and really knowing it, knowing about swimming, the physics, the techniques, all the different strokes, buoyancy calculations. Between that and actually getting down in the water and swimming are two different things. We may know a lot about public figures, politicians, celebrities, athletes, but how many of us really truly know them? The next sentence says, it is letting others know what God means to us and what he has done for us. Any bells ringing? Does your mind go to our... our, uh, Integrative evidence-based approach. What is one of the prongs of those that talks about what God has done for us, what he means to us? Which prong is that? That's our experience. Witnessing is sharing what we know of Jesus, what we have experienced in a trust relationship with him. The quarterly also said it is not trying to prove what we believe is right or showing what others believe is wrong. How many times has that been our witness or have we been witnessed to that way? 
That does not make for a winsome witness. Mrs. White also says our sharing about Jesus must come from a heart that has been healed by his mercy and grace and transformed by his love and truth. Then other people will see how we believe has impacted and changed our lives. This is the best reason why we must live what we believe. Truth presented in the context of a changed life makes all the difference. I have another quote. See what you think about this. The little subtitle in the book said, Successful Ways of Witnessing for Christ. And this speaks to what Tina was saying, where she's in her work environment. She's in her own sphere of influence. You didn't have to travel to Africa. You didn't have to go to a third world country. Not all can go as missionaries to foreign lands, but all can be home missionaries in their families and in their neighborhoods. There are many ways in which church members may give the message to those around them. One of the most successful ways is by living helpful, unselfish Christian lives. Those who are fighting the battle of life at great odds may be refreshed and strengthened by little attentions which cost nothing. Kindly words simply spoken, little attentions simply bestowed, will sweep away the clouds of temptation and doubt that gather over the soul. The true heart expression of Christ-like sympathy, given in simplicity, has power to open the door of hearts that need the simple, delicate touch of the Spirit of Christ. This is living the law of love in action, and it woos people, it draws people, it's, it's distinguishing, it's not familiar with what we see in the world today. It's different. So what about the question addressed in last week's class? Are we the Lord's messengers? And are you comfortable with that label? And of course, Tina has the ability to voice what most of us are thinking, but we're afraid to say. (laughs) For those of you who did not hear that exchange last week, Dr. Jennings read a quote from Mrs. White. That said, this message I am given to bear as the Lord's messenger. And he asked if we could make that same claim. Are we the Lord's messengers? If not, why not? Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. I found this quote that helps to explain why and how we can manage to be effective messengers for the God of the universe. Spoiler alert. It's not because of us. Have not your energies been quickened by the blessings that God has bestowed upon you? Has not the truth been more deeply impressed upon your soul? Can you not see more clearly its relative importance to those who are perishing out of Christ? Since the manifest revealing of God's blessing Are you witnessing for Christ more distinctly and more decidedly than ever before? The Holy Spirit has brought decidedly to your minds the important vital truths for this time. Is this knowledge to be bound up in a napkin and hidden in the earth? No, no, it is to be put out to the exchangers. Listen to this. As man uses his talents... However small, with faithfulness, 
the Holy Spirit takes the things of God and presents them anew to the mind. How many of you in this class have had the things of God presented to you anew in your mind in a way that you've never thought before? Through his spirit, God makes his word a vivifying power. Look that one up. It is quick and powerful, exerting a strong influence upon minds, not because of the learning or intelligence of the human agent but because divine power is working with the human power and it is to the divine power that all praise is to be given. So is he looking for perfect witnesses or is he looking for open, willing witnesses? Sunday's lesson talks about, or his title is Jesus, the basis of our testimony. And Sunday's lesson talks about our extreme makeovers. This isn't a home remodel. It's not some new makeup or hairdo techniques. But it talks about the ways we are different before we encounter Christ and after we've been changed by his spirit. What are some of those differences? Can we list some? I know we can. Well, showing love to the unloved. Yes. Whatever. And what would you have shown maybe before? What did it look like before? Not, don't care. Yes. Apathy. Yeah, it's their problem. Lack of concern. And after it's it's more than just attention. It's all it's a burden. You know what I mean? The compassion and it's almost overwhelming because there's so much need. You know what I mean? And you feel that so much. Well, but, and it's kind of like watching these riots and stuff that are going on. I have to keep reminding myself, they're children of God, too. God yes. loves them. Yes. Instead of like, well, just go and blow that place, place up and get rid of it. <laughs> you know? It's, his his you know, goal like is to doing. save yeah. all of them. Yeah. It's very hard. Yeah. I attended a a Bible study online this week and we were talking about, I think we were in Deuteronomy or some, someplace in the old Testament. And we talked about when the Israelites entered Canaan and of course they wanted to fight and have wars and battles and triumph over the enemies. And God wanted to send the hornets and the pestilence. And the reason behind that, not only did he want to save the children of Israel from the traumas of war, He wanted to save and heal the pagan nations. And by by gradually uh, pushing them back and letting the Israelites in, the Israelites' goal was to be his witness, to be his ambassadors, and to teach these surrounding nations the, the truth that the sanctuary service was pointing to, the truth of Christ. And by having that gradual influence, the chance of saving them was great, but by having, giving them their way and letting them fight it out, many of those nations were already so settled into their, into their ways that, that they couldn't be reached. And it just struck me. I mean, that's always his goal, healing and saving all of us, every one of his children. So some of the ones I have in my list... Before we were dead in our trespasses and sin, born in sin, conceived in, in iniquity, 
So we were terminal. We had only one possible outcome before. After, we're healed, we're renewed, we're transformed to be like Christ in heart, mind, and character. We had hard hearts of stone versus soft hearts of flesh. Our natural hearts were at enmity or distrust toward God. Our hearts are now trusting, they're open, they're seeking truth, and we're in agreement with him. We were slaves to our sinful condition and our carnal natures versus now free with a new spiritual nature. We were attached to and striving for the things of this world versus now having the things of this world cut away through circumcision of the heart. Sometimes that manifests itself in dramatic changes in behaviors, habits, likes, and dislikes. Sometimes it's more subtle. It's a shift in motives, methods, and attitudes. Our fearfulness and selfishness are replaced with love, other-centeredness, and fearlessness. This is evidenced by a change in the methods we use. We move from methods of control and coercion, manipulation and punishment, to kindness, honesty, liberation, and we speak the truth in love and leave people free. This transformation, this before and after extreme makeover process is talked about in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, and I wanted to read verses 1 through 10 out of the remedy. As for you, you were terminal and dying in the distrust, fear, and selfishness in which you used to live when you followed the survival of the fittest principle of the world, instituted by the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the intelligent being whose principles are now at work in all those who reject truth, love, and freedom. All of us also were born infected with this destructive survival of the fittest principle, and at one time gratified its selfish and unhealthy desires and thoughts. Like the rest of humanity, we were born infected with this principle, which, if not removed, would result in our self-destruction. But because God is love, because he is merciful, gracious, forgiving, patient, and kind, and because he truly loves us, he removes the infection of distrust and selfishness and heals us through Christ. It is because God is gracious, loving, and kind that you have been healed and set right with him. God raised the human race from its degraded and detestable state through Jesus Christ's victorious life, and humanity again occupies its seat at God's heavenly council in the person of Jesus Christ our Lord. In order that the amazing truth of God's gracious character may be showcased for all eternity, through the love expressed to us in Jesus Christ. It is only because of God's grace that you have been healed through trust. And you did not create this trust yourself, but it was established through the evidence of God's character revealed in the gift of Jesus Christ. This is not by some human work. No way. There is no room for anyone to boast. We are God's special creation brought to existence by Christ Jesus to showcase his character, his living law of love, which was always God's design for us. One of the founders of the Adventist Church puts it this way. This is a familiar quote for this class. It's from a book called Christ's Object Lessons. It says, This robe woven in the loom of heaven 
has in it not one thread of human devising. Christ in his humanity wrought out a perfect character. And this character he offers to impart to us. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with his heart. The will is merged with his will. The mind becomes one with his mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to him. We live his life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garment of his righteousness. If you've ever seen any of the extreme makeover shows, you know there is not an overnight trans- transformation. There's work to be, to be done. Effort. But whose work? Is this before and after transformation God's work? Is it my work? Is it our work? How does that look? How's the division of labor look in this process? It is a combo. It is a combo. There's things you have to do and there's things that God does in response. So God's work, I have down basically God's work is to procure the remedy, which sounds really simple, but I have it ranging from the foundation of the world, which is when that decision was made, um, the promise of the Redeemer in the Garden of Eden, ensuring a way was kept over for the Messiah to come, which is basically the entire Old Testament. Uh, then it was to having that fear and selfishness wore it out in Christ's humanity as he wrought out a perfect character gave himself in love all the way to death on the cross and ultimately overcame the infection, thereby developing a perfect human character and offering that to us as a free gift. So that's his work. What's our work? Our trust in him. To put our trust in him. To accept the remedy. Yes. <laughs> what happens when we, when we put our trust in him, when we open our heart to him? We cooperate. We cooperate, and he has promised to pour out his spirit, his spirit of truth and love, who speaks only what he hears from Christ. He pours that love into our hearts. Our work is to receive it, to assimilate it, to agree with it, to cooperate with him. Mrs. White says, Herein is revealed the outworking of the divine principle of cooperation without which no true success can be attained human effort avails nothing without divine power and without human endeavor divine effort is with many of no to avail avail to make god's grace our own we must act our part his grace is given to work in us to will and to do but never as a substitute for our effort so we have a huge part to play. He cannot save us against our will. I have another quote. It says, There are two grand forces at work in the salvation of the human soul. It requires the cooperation of man with the divine agencies, divine influences, and a strong, living, working faith. It is in this way only that the human agent can become a laborer together with God. 
the Lord does not sanction in any one of us a blind, stupid credulity. He does not dishonor the human understanding, but far from this, he calls for the human will to be brought into connection with the divine will. He calls for the ingenuity of the human mind, the tact, the skill to be strenuously exercised in searching out the truth as it is in Jesus. You are laborers together with God. That sounds a little bit like a law, a law of exertion. So how can our salvation be holy of Christ, no work of ours, and yet require our work of cooperation? When you change your lens, your law lens to design law, it all makes sense. If we're born with a terminal condition, out of harmony with and divergent from God's design, Christ and Christ alone took that condition upon himself and by the exercise of his human will, his human choices, he cured the condition and procured a remedy for all humanity. He lived a life in perfect harmony with God and thus developed a perfect human character. This is our remedy. We cannot do this. We can only choose to partake of what he has developed on our behalf. But the partaking is not the development. Christ came to the earth as man. He lived a holy life and developed a perfect character. These he offers as a free gift to all who will receive them. Christ imbues men with the attributes of God, which is mind-blowing. He builds up the human character after the similitude of the divine character, a goodly fabric of spiritual strength and beauty. Notice how the justification happens according to this passage. It is by becoming a partaker of the divine nature, by partaking of Jesus in a trust relationship and receiving a new heart and a right spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we are set right in heart and mind. That's how we're justified. All right, let's move to Monday. Monday's lesson talks about the transformative power of personal testimony. Monday talks about two real-life examples who experienced extreme makeovers. These were the brothers James and John, originally known as the Sons of Thunder. But they were transformed and changed because of their close relationship with Jesus. The quarterly says a couple of things really well here, and I want to point them out in Monday's lesson. It says, Jesus' way is the way of love, not combative force. In the presence of Jesus' love, John's impetuosity and anger were transformed to loving kindness and a gentle, compassionate spirit. In John's first epistle, the word love appears nearly 40 times. If you include it various forms of the word, it appears 50 times. Mrs. White says there is an eternal principle of the universe. What would another term for an eternal principle of the universe be? Maybe a law, a natural law, a design law. There is an eternal principle of the universe that says the exercise of force is contrary to the principles of God's government. He desires only the service of love 
and love cannot be commanded. It cannot be won by force or authority. Only by love is love awakened. I thought that was well said. That's in the lesson. That's in the lesson. The the uh, eternal principle of the universe and the that quote from Desire of Ages. All right, didn't spend much time on Monday's lesson. We're moving to Tuesday's lesson. Tuesday's lesson talks about telling the story of Jesus. The lesson points out some of the inexperienced lack of qualifications of Christ's first missionaries and evangelists, the people he chose and told to go out and tell about him. So these were not his disciples, not his longtime followers. These first two were two gentlemen that were also known as madmen who had experienced healing and liberation from demon possession. So these guys had likely never heard Jesus preach a sermon. They'd never sacrificed or probably even been to the temple. They had certainly not attended seminary, probably hadn't memorized the Torah or the Old Testament scrolls. So what in the world would they have to share with people? What deep spiritual insights could they possibly have to impart? They shared the Jesus they knew because they had experienced him for themselves. Their changed lives were living proof that Jesus was the Savior. And these men told what they knew, what they had seen, heard, and felt of Jesus' power. This is what everyone can do whose hearts have been changed by God's loving favor. But do you wonder how this can be? How effective and what difference can my witness actually make? Do you sometimes feel unfit, incapable, ill-equipped? I do. And how can I improve my skills in this area? Well, uh, one of the founders of our church says, Well, in this work, as in every other, skill is gained in the work itself. It is by training in the common duties of life and in ministry to the needy and suffering that efficiency is assured. Without this, the best meant efforts are often useful and even harmful. It is in the water, not on the land, that men learn to swim. She's talking about the law of exertion. Yes. My experience through, in my life through the church, and you hear them get up and say, you need to get out and witness. Yeah. And I've been conditioned to believe that that means i got to run out and tell somebody about the Sabbath or the state of the dead or something like that. Right. And I never hear any emphasis on learning to know God personally and learning about his character. Yep. And a while back I was talking to a lady that I've known. She's 99 years old now. And she says, oh, there's so many people that have heard our message. And she says, but they never came into the church. We've got to get out and get them baptized into the church so they can be saved. In other words, 
I think a lot of people in the church have the idea that that if we just go along and be happy in the church, that everything's fine. Right. And people will figure it out. It wasn't until what well, I've been kind of connected with this class off and on for several years. But until I learned something to look at things a little different, right. that a lot of those things are relatively unimportant, at least to me, until you really learn who God is. I talked to someone not long ago, and they said, well, I know who God is. I said, well, who is God? Well, He loves us, and He wants to save us. And that's just the same old thing I've been hearing all my life from the church. And I, I just think that the church is asleep, and I pointed that out to them, that that's very veiled sin, just to keep right. thinking that there's nothing more to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen to this quote. See what you think about it. It is God's purpose to manifest through his people the principles of his kingdom. What's another word for principles? Laws. It is his purpose to manifest through his people, that's us, the principles of his kingdom, which means his design laws are to be seen and represented by us, that in life and character they may reveal these principles. He desires to separate them from the customs, habits, and practices or methods of this world. To me, this means that we don't necessarily have to go out and tell somebody about the Sabbath. It means I have to live the law of love and liberty in my life, in my work, in my example to reveal these principles, to separate me from the ways of the world. Wonderful scenes are opening before us. And at this time, a living testimony is to be born in the lives of God's professed people so that the world may see that in this age, when evil reigns on every side, and are we not seeing evil reign on every side, there is yet a people who are laying aside their will and are seeking to do God's will, a people in whose hearts and lives God's law is written. Which law? Which law? I don't know if you guys remember, but back when we were kids, we used to sing a song, Do You Know a Christian? Your sermon choose. Yes. Yes, and I find myself humming that. So often. so true. Yeah. So true. And I have in parentheses after that quote that these are individuals, not denominations, that are telling these stories. Consider the two madmen referred mm-hmm. to earlier. I mean, I mean, let your mind imagine interacting with these people on a daily basis before they met Jesus, whether they had a mental illness or whether it was an actual demon possession is immaterial. But they probably had, um, their speech was probably damaged, either swearing or uh, incoherent babbling. Their behavior, they were probably uh, um, danger to themselves or to others. 
It said they were publicly self-harming. Yeah, and, and they they lived um, according to the world's principle of take what you want, then you'll get what you need. They they were likely shunned and avoided. They may have even been uh, chained up in times. And they meet Jesus, and now now they're a, a restored human. Their their minds are clear. They are able to restore relationships. They're able to speak coherently. They're able to. Um, give of themselves mm-hmm. to, to the betterment of those who are less fortunate now. And think about what a powerful witness that is. All, and all they had to do was mention the, the, the physician that healed them. Yeah, that, that, that's, sorry, that, that's the, that's the more powerful witness than, than talking about, uh, the correct day of worship or the, the, uh, the nuances of, sanctuary service or uh, biblical prophecies and stuff like that. Go ahead. That just shows the potential that every human being has That's if right. they know Jesus. And God sees that potential and wants to bring it out. And that way is through love. Okay, with, with these makeover mm-hmm. in reference to what, what's a compelling um, advertisement for the contract of the builder? A before picture and an after picture. Yeah. You, you look at the, the pre and post work, and, and it, it doesn't even look like the same building. Yeah. And like Hopefully you, we won't look like the same humans. Right. And like you said, it, but it's not, they're not putting on a facade on the new house. Yeah, yeah not lipstick on a pig. Just That's right. Just coat of paint. And, and the healing you just described, it was complete. It was total. It was mental. It was physical. It was emotional. All Every part was healed, and every part of that healing was miraculous. It's like we, what we know about the law of exertion, the things that aren't used or are lo- lost, if these people had been like this, those faculties of interpersonal relationships parts of the brain had been pared away and uh neurons were gone never to return and so that that healing is is incredible and instant so we have any young people we have young people in here we have young people listening and watching lest you think that being god's messenger and witness doesn't include you think again listen to what this author says about it this is incredible when heavenly intelligence says see that men are no longer permitted to present the truth and if this year hasn't shown you that there is going to come a time when we are going to be no longer allowed permitted to present the truth any any truth any truth when men are no longer permitted to present the truth the spirit of god will come upon the children and they will do a work in the proclamation of the truth which the older workers cannot do because their way will be hedged up we're going to be hedged up in the closing scenes of this earth's history men of the, many of these children and youth will astonish people by their witness to the truth which will be born in simplicity, yet with spirit and power. They have been taught the fear of the Lord, and their hearts have been softened by a careful and prayerful study of the Bible. 
In the near future, many children will be imbued with the Spirit of God and will do a work in proclaiming the truth to the world that at the time cannot be well done by the older members of the church. This is why it's so important. The children's book is so important. And there's more work being done in that area that I can't tell you about. But just know that's a real focus for this ministry. This is from Adventist Home. And it's it's in the notes. Our church schools are ordained by God to prepare the children for this great work. Here, children are to be instructed in the special truths for this time and in practical missionary work. By them, God's message will be made known and his saving health to all nations. They're the ones that are going to complete this work. Are our church schools preparing the children for this great work? Something to think about. It's a big responsibility. Wednesday's lesson, I'm skipping. I'm moving to Thursday's lesson. And it's entitled, Something Worth Testifying About. What is the something that's worth testifying about? And what makes it worth it? Is what most of Christianity believes worth testifying about? Is some heavenly legal proceeding where you are declared righteous even though you're not worth testifying about? Is having your medical records altered to say that you're well when you're still dying of a terminal disease, is that worth testifying about? It paralyzes in fear. Paralyzes in fear. It obstructs. Is getting to spend eternity with a God who will torture you if you don't love him worth testifying about? I got to tell you. Go ahead, Tina. I'm going to say no, it's not worth testifying. It's not. And I've said before in this class, the traditional legal penal view of God and Christianity that I was raised in, I was taught in Christian schools I was steeped in was not worth testifying about not to me at least and I didn't I never told a soul so what happened reality happened reality happened knowledge of reality how reality actually works that's what happened But look, I am standing up in front of a class with not one, not two, but three, not three, four cameras pointed at me with all of the pounds that they each add. I'm on YouTube and Facebook permanently ensconced on the Internet in perpetuity. What changed? And it's all for the glory of God. So thank you for being Yes. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We just read. This is not because of the learning or intelligence of the human agent, but because divine power is working with the human power, and it is to the divine power that all praise is to be given. Amen. I'm talking about what changed in my thinking 
in my paradigms, in my knowledge about God, my experience of God. So I thought I would just try to delineate out a few of the most significant shifts that are now worth testifying about. And don't get me wrong, the truth about God and his character of love was always worth testifying about and was always true. It was not my experience. So either I had not heard it or when that truth was presented to me previously, I missed it. So I know y'all can help me. I bet you got a list of your own. The first one I have listed is the medical healing or healing substitution atonement model. And that even includes the meaning and pronunciation of the word at one meant. In contrast to the traditional penal substitution model, which focuses more on an angry or just God who must be appeased, must be propitiated. The healing model shifts the focus to the sinner's condition, my condition, this carnal nature, this corrupt character that is motivated by fear and selfishness and the drive to survive. This is a terminal condition in need of healing. Christ cured this disease of fear and selfishness in his humanity and procured a remedy which he offers as a free gift. God is the creator and designer. His laws are the laws upon which reality and life are built and designed to operate. Once you embrace this concept and change your law lens from imposed rules to design laws, you end up basically having a secret decoder ring or a crystal ball that actually helps you predict the future. Hopefully someday it helps you predict the future. In my case, it's more often a diagnostic tool for diagnosing the past where I can look at the, the methods, the principles I used and say, Ugh, I should have seen that coming. That was so predictable. Just like what will happen when I drop these. 100% predictable. If you can shift that to forward thinking instead of diagnosing the past, it's revolutionary, revelationary. But also when diagnosing the past, don't you find it also allows healing? Absolutely. It provides such a sensible explanation. The gentleman here before class, we asked him how he found this class and what he liked about it, and he said it's the only thing that makes sense. And it's so true. Tied to design laws is the understanding is understanding the importance of methods, principles, and character versus focusing on following specific rules, behaviors, performances. Tied to that is especially, I would say this year, is really the practical nature of what we're learning and how it can be applied to interpreting prophecy and end-time events and what's going on right now. Because, again, as we're told, if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived that people are going to come in his name. The behaviors, the practices, the rules are going to be the same. It's the methods and principles that are going to be different. The truth and love and freedom method versus the fear, coercion, punishment method is really going to be the distinguishing feature. The Sabbath is a sign, a flag, a banner representing God's government and his methods of truth, love, and freedom. 
versus the flag and the banner of imposed, enacted, arbitrary rules requiring force, coercion, and punishment. Didn't grow up learning about that representation of the Sabbath. I have an entirely new view and appreciation for the investigative judgment and the cleansing of the sanctuary doctrines. The investigative judgment is all about God and not about us. He has not already gotten through the A names as he works alphabetically through the Lamb's Book of Life. Don't laugh. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely don't laugh. Both of us thought that. Our probation has not closed just because our last name begins with A. (laughs) Exactly. Are those at the beginning or the end of the alphabet? They're not going to be saved anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're not Christian. They're not Seventh-day Adventists. You see how far down the rabbit hole this goes? These are the unfortunate conclusions that you can reach based on being inculcated into a, um imposed law methodology of salvation. It, it, it gets very destructive very fast. And the people who taught us that with all their heart loved us dearly and with all their heart Absolutely. So we all drink the Kool-Aid. Absolutely. Uh, and, and the whole world has. And by Kool-Aid, you mean the wine of battle. I was saying, yeah. it's, it's great Kool-Aid. It's a great wine. Yes, yeah. for sure. Thank you for bringing that out. We're talking about total absence of malice, 100% earnest, dedicated people. And they're no different. We, we did, too. I did, too. Um, and it, it requires a lot of, of unlearning. It causes a lot of cognitive dissonance. I don't want anybody to misunderstand that. Um, there's tension there. Um, and you know that unselfish love flowed through, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Despite the lies. Then that allowed God's truth yes. to filter through the, the centuries and the, the issues and the crises and all. And I mean, that's, that's the other thing. Again, he doesn't need perfect witnesses. He needs willing witnesses. And don't think that his love and truth is not powerful enough and strong enough to overcome our human weaknesses. We know that as parents. We know that as, as witnesses for God. Thank goodness that he, he is not relying on our perfect execution uh, of those tasks. It, his, his love and truth are stronger than that. So back to investigative judgment. What's being investigated? Yes, it's not my record book. Our destiny is determined by our judgment of God. Do we trust him? Is he trustworthy? Plus, I have a vastly different and expanded understanding of all the sanctuary symbols, the entire sanctuary service, what and where it is, what it's made of, what needs to be cleansed, how it gets cleansed. And I'm telling you, after last weekend, Dr. Jennings spoke at his mother-in-law's memorial service, and I'm sure blew some people's minds with the concept of the sleep death, what really happens, 
to the believers who never die, where their individualities and their characters are secure, stored on the server in the cloud, waiting to be downloaded into new hardware. The whole state, my whole concept of the state of the dead is, is completely different now, which again is so it's so freeing and it's so encouraging to any of us, which is all of us, who have ever had someone we loved pass away who still had character flaws. Right? So anyway, that portion of the, of the whole service was recorded, but that portion of his talk, I think, is, is going to be put up on the website to, to share because it is, it's a goodie. The analogy, I think some people sometimes find cold when we talk about computers and software and all the rest, but the, the having it an imperfect element that we can understand allows us a little sneak peek into a God that loves you, you, me, yes. the essence the, and that character and that relationship that is built over years right. or moments, depending yes. on how, how rapidly you... Uh, dispelling of the lies and the changing heart. Absolutely. And he loves it so much, he is unwilling to risk any infringement upon your individuality or your character by force. This is why we have to cooperate. This is why we have to participate in the process so we can stay us. It's why we have the opportunity to cooperate. The opportunity to respond. Right. The opportunity not to be programmed. Absolutely. And it's why we have the opportunity to witness. This is an opportunity not only to participate with the God of the universe in his plan to heal and save humanity, but because it changes us. It, it, it works good in our character to share our experience with other people. All right. A couple minutes left. I'm not going to put my glasses on. Okay. Why Christ had to die and what his life, death, and resurrection accomplished. Five minutes is not enough to do a complete study on this topic, but if you search the keywords, why Christ had to die on comeandreason.com, you will get lots of detailed explanations. Very briefly, Christ came to reveal the truth about his father, which destroys the lies and distortions and refutes Satan's accusations about who God is and how he governs. He also came to reveal the truth about Satan's character, who was shown to be a liar and a murderer from the start. By giving himself in love all the way to death on a cross, Christ purged the infection of fear and selfishness from his perfect human character and procured a remedy that he offers as a free gift. Finally, Christ destroyed death by perfectly restoring the law of love, which is the basis for life. Don't forget, life is the default setting in God's universe. He restored humanity back into harmony with God's perfect design, and life was the inevitable result. What about the amazing great controversy perspective and the ongoing point-counterpoint battle between good and evil, between God and his accuser, that played out in this theater and spectacle to angels and men? From the Garden of Eden, through the Old Testament, to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, right up to today, when we can see that, see that the war is still being waged. Love cannot exist in an atmosphere without freedom, and God is love. The good news isn't good news at all. 
if God is like Satan has alleged him to be. So again, what changed? God hasn't changed. His, the truth about his law, the truth about who he is and his character of love have not changed. They have always been good. They've always been true. And they've always been worth testifying about. So what changed is me. He changed me. The truth about who he is continues to change me, hopefully. This last message of mercy to go to the world, the truth about his character of love, is life-changing. We hear it. We hear, we get emails, we get messages every day, every week from around the world where people are having people into their home. They're going through the Power of Love training and equipping course. They're starting a Sabbath school in their own local churches because hearing this truth has changed their lives and they can't keep silent then. This healing atonement model is for real. It's not metaphor. It's not symbolic. It is actual, tangible, genuine healing, restoration, regeneration, renewal in the heart, mind, and character of the believer. God doesn't want to grant you legal pardon. He wants to heal you and save you. He doesn't want to declare you to be righteous. He wants to make you righteous. He wants to set you right, back in harmony with his perfect design. Our salvation is not legal or transactional. It's transformational. Let's bow our heads. Father, we are so grateful for your love, for your healing mercies, and we ask that they be poured out upon us. Father, this world is coming unhinged. The labor pains are in motion, and people are looking around and asking a question, what is going on? Father, let us be your witnesses. Let us be your ambassadors. Let us, like Job, say of you what is right. We ask for your spirit to empower and equip us to do that for you so that we can see you soon is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.